0: Welcome to Left Out, reality-based independent radio on WRCT 88.3 FM and on the World Wide Web, available at leftout.info. Left Out discusses the news from a perspective left out of the mainstream media. I'm Bob Harper.
1: I'm Danny Slater.
0: And today's program is produced by Matt Horniak. Listeners are, as usual, invited to call the program at 412-268-9728, or you can also send electronic mail to bob at leftout.info. We'll monitor mail during the show.
1: Uh, we don't have any special announcements today. Um, the uh, the only ones I'll just mention are that as usual, Democracy Now! is on every weekday at 8 a.m. here on WRCT. Free Speech Radio News on every weekday at 5:30 p.m. and um, tomorrow's show on um, uh, six o'clock at six o'clock uh, is uh, the Fightin Lefty Review uh, and um, After this show, another program about Wall Street is After the Bell, right after Left Out here on WRCT. So um, today we have a guest on the line. Uh, His name is Sam Harris. He's an author author of a book that came out about a year and a half ago called The End of Faith, Religion, Terror, and the Future of Reason. Uh, Sam has gotten a lot of publicity lately for the book. Well, the book has become a bestseller, and... um, He's getting more interviews and so on. He was on C-SPAN a few days ago. So um, and we both Bob and I looked at his, his talk on C-SPAN, found it very interesting, and decided to invite him on to Left Out. Sam, are you there?
2: Yeah. Thanks oh, nice for welcome. having me, guys.
0: Welcome to Left Out.
1: So uh, maybe we should just start out with, if, if you could um, briefly uh, summarize the thesis of your book.
2: Well, I, I'm arguing that we're paying a terrible price for not subjecting religious beliefs to the same kinds of standards of evidence and argument that we subject all of the other beliefs to. We we live in a society where uh, religious faith is intruding upon social policy, uh, blocking medical research, uh, underwriting some of our international alliances, and um, internationally we are meandering into a, a civilizational conflict with the Muslim world. Uh, also uh, animated by uh, religious myth to an extraordinary degree, and we are not—we are unwilling to criticize the the unjustified religious beliefs that are are causing these kinds of conflicts and causing these kinds of uh, distortions in our thinking about the world. And um, so I'm am coming up. I'm I'm criticizing the taboos that prevent us from from uh, taking on religious belief to the degree that I think we should.
0: So the conventional wisdom is that, you know, uh, religion is an unalloyed good and that some people misapply it or in a misguided, uh, maybe a misguided interpretation, but that doesn't say anything fundamental about religion itself. So I I have a feeling that you have a somewhat different opinion about this, so I wonder if you might comment on that.
2: Yeah, yeah, well, I... Uh, but the first thing to say up front is that i don't deny that people have extraordinary experiences and extraordinarily positive experiences uh in the context of some religious ideology and some religious practice. and so we should uh, we should want to understand those experiences we can call them spiritual or mystical for lack of better words. uh we should also want to understand uh and cultivate those factors that allow us to form strong communities and uh uh... encourage ethical intuitions etc uh, etc cetera, et cetera. I mean, there there is something there's a range of experience that, that traditionally has only been talked about in the context of religious faith that that is is crucial to to uh, the human enterprise but uh... what i'm arguing in my book is that people either have good reasons for what they believe or they don't and if you have good reasons for what you believe your beliefs are part of the dialogue of science i spe- speaking very broadly I mean, that includes history that includes every rational mode of discourse uh... And if there were good reasons to believe that jesus was born of a virgin or was going to be coming back out of the clouds like a superhero sometime in the next fifty years those those beliefs would be part of our scientific worldview and there's there's a good reason why they're they not part of our scientific worldview because the reasons for for holding beliefs of that sort are, are tissue thin I mean they're, they're, you know the, the arguments people put forward for, for for convictions like that that the world is going to end and and the Messiah is going to return that the Quran literally emanated from the creator of the universe all of these ideas which are intrinsically divisive because they, ex- they exclude other religious propositions that with which they're incompatible uh, all of these ideas are, are really lack credibility and it's time we started talking about it
1: so one of the things that uh, well the book the book is uh, you've know, got lots of examples of this and it spans a, a, a wide range of of of, um, of consequences of these religious beliefs. The book begins with a description of a suicide bombing on a bus. Um, that so that's one big part of the whole thing. And and uh, the, and then later on you go into and, and, and talking about the um, the nine eleven uh, hijackers and what was driving them and and. Uh, you also have chapters about uh, things like medical issues, things like uh, uh, the anti-drug laws, uh, laws uh, trying to regulate the, what people do in their own, um, you know, privacy of their own homes, homosexuality, a whole range of, of different uh, types of uh, phenomena, of the the, the, uh, the uh, issue of um, preventing the distribution of condoms in Africa and preventing the teaching of, of, um, of how to have safe sex, um... So all of these things are consequences of it. So they're, they're all very different, and, and they all take place in different parts of the world. So but it's just kind of a sweeping uh, thesis where you try to tie this all together. Um, right.
2: Yeah. I mean, w- one thing to point out that, that, that unifies all of these diverse consequences is the, the proposition that, that really we have a choice between an open-ended conversation where human beings are willing to have their beliefs about the world revised and updated by new evidence and new arguments or we have we we in various modes of conversation put the blinders on and say there are certain core beliefs that are simply not susceptible to the usual criticism and the, us- the usual process of of revision and the only area of our discourse w- where we tolerate and encourage that that, that latter mode is in religion I mean, you know anyone who believes that 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 elvis is still alive for instance has and and cannot produce good reasons for it is just swiftly marginalized in our culture because we all recognize that a that strong conviction completely devoid of evidence is the sign that really something is wrong with your mind But you can believe that jesus is going to come back out of the clouds in your lifetime and have no more evidence and not only are you praised for it uh you can you can be promoted to political office would that be in your basically your your founding notion for your campaign
1: so so um I thought of something clever to say, but now I forgot what it was.
0: The thing I wanted to take up, though, is that you seem to take a a fairly broad view of what science would be, because because I, I sort of equate science with materialism or materialistic explanation and not identify it with rationality per se. So you seem to be saying, well, if there are rational arguments for religious belief, then they would be part of science. They're not part of science, therefore there are no rational arguments for religious belief. But... The fact I'm not sure that the last thing works right because presumably I'm not a religious person myself but presumably someone who is religious would argue well that the that the arguments and the issues are not material so they're not relevant to science and and so you, what are you saying
2: well I think science is is does not presuppose any metaphysical commitment to materialism per se I mean if, if dualism is true if, if we really do have souls that float free of the brain after death uh, then science, then a completed science, uh, would admit that into evidence. Now, the fact is that the evidence for souls floating free of the brain after death uh, is uh, in short supply. And insofar as we have evidence for that proposition, uh, we should be uh, evaluating it and talking about it. And, uh, you know, so, so I, I'm open-minded on that subject. Likewise, with all manner of strange things like telepathy, you know, who knows? Uh, I mean, there's some data on telepathy. Some some people with scientific credentials have been convinced by it. It's treated like intellectual pornography in most universities, and so it's it's you know not a a particularly fruitful realm of discourse at the moment. But either telepathy exists or it doesn't. And if it exists, and we're willing to explore it, that too will be part of the data and discourse of science. And it it, it may be a, there may be a material explanation. There may be a a, a fundamentally spookier explanation, but um, so yeah. I mean, I, I don't think that that science presupposes any particular uh, metaphysical worldview. What it pre- what it does presuppose, though, is a desire to jettison dogma wherever you can find it. I mean, dogmatism is the antithesis. Of the of a scientific frame of mind, and yet it is the core of the religious frame of mind.
0: Right. So I think we can agree that critical inquiry is the core your core point, and uh, I, I agree with that.
1: I, I have a, a ahead, comment Dan. on what you, another thing you just said. I mean, you're sort of saying you're saying that we we need to quote treat them like they treat people who have these beliefs as though they just believe in Elvis, for example, or some okay. other preposterous thing. Um. I, but aren't we already doing that in a sense I mean isn't that what for example uh, the fact that evolution uh, has is being taught or there I don't remember the whole history of the rulings about evolution but uh, up until recently evolution was being taught in the schools and creationism is not being taught in the schools much to the chagrin of the of a lot of religious people and now they've've they've fought back vigorously and and um, now they're trying to impose um, these these you know, superstitious beliefs uh, and, and trying to incorporate that into a science curriculum. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure what you're, I mean, I think you're making a good point, but what's the course of action? Because I think that we're already doing a lot. Well, well I mean, I certainly am, And I, but, but, I mean, it doesn't seem to be working.
2: Well, we're actually, the first thing to recognize is that we are outnumbered to a, to a shocking degree in this country. You know, 83% of Americans claim to believe that Jesus literally rose from the dead, of Americans believe that Satan literally exists, and when you select just college graduates, that number only goes down to 64% who believe that Satan literally exists and leads people to sin. Now, now hold that alongside the fact that only about 12% of Americans believe that life evolved from natural causes without the intrusion of a creator god uh so you, the, the picture that emerges is of a, a society that is really not disposed to think very critically ab- about uh, uh the evolving discourse of uh, specifically in, uh, about evolution and and uh, uh the emergence of life that has occurred in the last 100 years and in the last 50 years since molecular biology um, so it's just it's mind-boggling the level of ignorance and the commitment to ig- ignorance to the smug and unctuous and moralizing commitment to ig- ignorance that is so much of the discourse of the religious right in our country. Uh, and the fact that our children may one, be, one day be taught intelligent design and biology class should be uh, uh, galling to all of us. Uh, so it is a problem. It's a problem of, of social and psychological engineering, how you get people talking sense uh uh, when the, the the most sensible people are so outnumbered, but uh, there are f- a few things we should recognize. One is the picture is very different in Western Europe. I mean, they, you know, Western Europe has managed, uh, for a variety of uh, reasons, to purge its political discourse and and social discourse of these these most most frank. Uh, ejaculations of religious dogmatism. You cannot be a politician in France, for instance, or Sweden, who thanks God at the end of his speech, uh, and 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 that's a good thing. And 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 to thank God at the end of your speech, you're going to sound like someone who just thanks <laughs> Zeus or Poseidon. Uh, and you know, one thing I, I recommend to to all of your listeners is, you know, just just change the word God wherever you hear it in public discourse in our country to Zeus or Poseidon or Thor or any, any one of the other dead gods who nobody believes in. And you'll see just how strange our discourse is.
0: And what I think is worse is that uh, you, if you want to go on the same line, I mean, you certainly couldn't be elected to public office in any significant, uh, to any significant extent if you uh, uh, profess that you, are, you don't actually believe in God. You can forget about yeah. that. Then you, oh, you're, yeah. you're tantamount to some sort of a criminal or a subhuman uh, subhuman entity. Very few people have the nerve for that reason to even admit uh, having any uh, questions about these matters.
2: Yeah, so it, I, I mean, that's, that's amazing. It's, it's actually the most stigmatized uh, subgroup that has been, been polled on. I mean, it, it, people have been asked by pollsters if a presidential candidate from your party, your own party, were put forward, who was qualified but happened to be black or homosexual or Catholic or a woman or an atheist, uh, would you vote for that person? And it's only the atheist who could not get a majority, (laughs) even in his own party, uh, stipulating that he's actually well-qualified.
0: That's uh, pathetic. Uh, well, yeah. We're talking uh, We're talking with Sam Harris, who is the author of a uh, best selling book called The End of Faith, Religion, Terror, and the Future of Reason. Uh, listeners are welcome to call us as ever at uh, 412 268 uh, uh, 9728 or to send electronic mail to bob at info. Phone number again is 412 268 9728.
1: Danny. So um, one of the things that, uh, w- well, superficial reading of your book, which is all I've done, um, uh, might lead me to conclude, is that there's kind of this blaming of, for example, um, Islam for for a lot of things. For example, you begin the book with describing a suicide bombing, and, and you point out that, rightly so, that, well, we don't know anything about the person who just perpetrated this this hideous crime, but except, well, he's a Muslim. Um, and I agree with that. You don't know if he's an engineer or if he's a, you know, a man or woman or, you know, lots of other things, but one thing you're pretty sure to to be right about is that he's a a Muslim. But the thing is that that doesn't really explain, you know, the fact that the suicide bombings are are a relatively recent thing. I mean, it wasn't just something that happened. It started happening uh, just because the Palestinians felt like, you know, blowing themselves up and a bunch of other people. It's connected to the oppression and, in my view, the genocide it's slow genocide of the Palestinians that's been going on for for decades there in Israel, and um, so it's I think misleading and maybe your ness is not what you're saying. Maybe you can clarify this to say that well it's the, the fact that they're Muslims that are doing this. It's it's uh, it's related and it's connected, but it's 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 got to be also connected to the, the whole oppres- oppressive situation over there and the crimes being committed by the other side. Well,
2: well let me ask you a question, Danny. Uh, you know, I'm not discounting the, the terrible circumstances that the Palestinians live in as a variable, but if religion is not the difference that makes the difference, where are the Palestinian Christian suicide bombers? There are tens of thousands of Palestinian Christians who live in the same deplorable circumstances. They, they suffer the same checkpoints and the same humiliations. To my knowledge, there has not been a single Palestinian Christian suicide bomber, uh, and I'm arguing that's not an accident. I'm arguing that if you look at the doctrine of Islam, the mainstream doctrine of Islam, it contains these ideas of martyrdom and jihad uh, that that really make sense of the unique character of Muslim violence that we see now. So, uh, now, it's not it's not that that no one else has ever committed suicidal violence under any circumstances, but Islam really makes it seem like a sensible thing to do given the theology
0: so I and, wonder uh, if I, since I'm not I'm not a theologian I, I would and this is a fairly provocative statement I wondered if first of all you could you could back that up by, by uh, giving us a little more information about what you see in the Quran for example of where that where that arises and second of all I would like you also to react to the, to the comment that other religions, like you can find similar calls to violence in the uh, Old Testament, for example.
2: Right. Yeah, those are all good points. Um, I mean, the, the larger point is that what I'm arguing is that that people really believe this stuff that, and, and that people like ourselves, secularists or religious moderates, are not in a very good position to appreciate that. We, we really, most of us, can't imagine believing that if we fly a plane into a building and kill uh... uh... the right people and die in the process that we're going to wind up in paradise with seventy two virgins etc cetera, etc cetera. but people really do believe this stuff and and they're telling us they believe it and they're sacrificing their lives in a way that is only rational in light of of those beliefs or similar beliefs so that I mean, that that's the big picture uh... and the details do matter because for instance you, you mentioned the bible uh... it's true that the old Testament, you know, the books like Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Exodus and Second Samuel are are absolutely barbaric books and uh, contain explicit directives to kill people for theological crimes. Uh, the uh, The issue, the difference between uh, the Bible and the Quran, is the Bible is a, r- a really vast and self contradictory book, uh, and it's possible to. to to, uh, I mean it does not have a coherent message really and you can use parts of it you can certainly can use Jesus in half his moods to repudiate all the rest of the Bible and and develop a very tolerant and and otherworldly and non-political uh, religion as, as many liberal Christians do uh, now there's the other Jesus who's the wrathful uh, uh, reaper of souls who's going to come back very much as he's portrayed in the left-behind novels, and just throw people into the fiery pit. That That is a Jesus who also can be found in the Bible. Uh, but the difference with the Quran is that it is a much shorter book. It is a much more unified message. And the message is really this, that infidels are fit only for the fires of hell and that whatever uh, gains you see them making in this life are only apparent uh, rest assured, they're going to be punished and mocked and not forgiven and not reprieved uh, by the Creator of the Universe. Who, if He had wanted them to to be saved, would have rightly guided them, but He didn't. He cursed them with with their doubts, and therefore it is it is fitting to that they suffer for eternity. And one principle that is articulated uh, in Islam to an extraordinary degree—it's not articulated as much in the Quran, more in the Hadith, which is which is the commentarial tradition that re- recounts the, the sayings and actions of the prophet, uh, one principle is this, this idea of jihad and martyrdom, the idea that, that death in defense of the faith, that, that defending the faith from, from uh, criticism even is a, is a moral obligation for, for every, every Muslim. And, and to die in that process is the greatest thing that could possibly happen to you. Uh, and that is just articulated ad nauseum in, in the Hadith, uh, I mean, there are phrases like, you know, paradise is in the shadow of swords, and uh, you know, he that dies while fighting in Allah's cause is is the most exalted. And, and I mean, there's they, they, just, they're, you know, there are countless uh, versions of this kind of thing. Um, and uh, it is it, the other thing to recognize is that Islam is at a different moment in its history. It has not had a Reformation. It has not had two centuries of confrontation with secularism and, and a scientific uh, worldview, and therefore it is it is as though that we are facing the Christians of the 14th century right now. We have people who are animated to an extraordinary degree by their religious mythology, and it happens to be a, be a mythology that makes uh, a very ready sense out of uh, religious conflict and suicidal violence.
0: So why does this come up just now, though, going back to Danny's point? I mean, so, uh, you know, the religion of Islam has been around for, I don't know, more than a 1,000 years, uh, 1,500 years, something like that. Uh, and it seems, although maybe that's just my impression, but it seems that this, uh, this, uh, these actions, these acts that, are, that you attribute to the religion of, are really relatively recent.
2: Well, they're, they're not recent in terms of conflict between Islam and the West, uh what is recent is the spread of the technology that allows people to turn themselves into bombs or uh hijack airplanes and i mean this is this is all very very recent and you know the the emergence of this uh I mean, suicide bombing specifically uh occurred during the the uh the civil war in Lebanon and uh was inspired by uh uh Hezbollah and um but suicidal behavior uh predates that, and it's also important to point out that that this is not merely uh, something that happens between Islam and the west although that's what 's most noticeable to us. Muslims do this to other Muslims without our involvement when you, when you just as a matter recount, of
0: doctrinal disagreement you mean
2: yeah and 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 the same kind of of, kind of orgy of uh suicidal violence is apparent i mean the, the war between iran and iraq uh was characterized on the iranian side of with with mothers sending their sons out to clear minefields with their lives just by the tens of thousands k- kids were sent across minefields uh and there there was just this you know uh, a sacrament was made of it i mean this was not something that that was directed at us and it's not something that many of us know about uh and yet Given the requisite beliefs, this is perfectly rational behavior. I mean, just imagine if you actually believed that that death was a total illusion and your son was going to go straight to paradise and and not only get there himself, but pave the way for you and your entire family. It's it's a completely rational thing to do. The problem for us is that we are so reluctant to admit that people actually believe this stuff that we, we... kind of endlessly look for other explanations when 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 they're telling us why they're doing these things.
0: So if we look at the other side though wasn't it also a, a, glor- a glorious uh, gloriously uh, heroic uh, to to embark on the crusades and go to the middle east and try to uh, well kill and eradicate the, the the non-christian the non-christian believers?
2: Yeah, it was. And, and the religious So again it's not, not Islam particularly. What was that? Yeah. It's the religious motives for that were were certainly operative at the time. It, the Crusades were a, a faith-based initiative to an extraordinary <laughs> degree. Indeed, uh, but it's it's just that the thing to point out is that the the uh, doctrine of martyrdom and jihad uh, or b- martyrdom and, and crusade is not as explicit in uh, in Christianity certainly, and therefore it's it's. It's easier to be a Christian who ignores that the logic, that particular pernicious logic of faith, and and it's much harder to, to be a Muslim who ignores uh, the obligation of jihad.
0: So I'm not so sure I agree with that. I mean, the, it seems more like to me like we notice, and it's particularly topical at the moment. But I mean, there there's an enormous population of Muslims in the world. There must be billions, I, I, or one, nearly. One
2: point 1.3 billion. Yeah,
0: I mean, uh, if you go, I mean, it's a tremendous swath of the world. So I can't possibly, I can't really believe your argument that somehow, uh, you know, Muslims are more compelled to to adhere to, you know, uh, heroic uh, stories in the name of faith than, than, than let's say, Christians are. I mean, it doesn't seem plausible to me.
2: Well, well uh, let me just give you a few details to back that up. W- one is, uh, the truth <laughs> is, we really don't know what the great majority of Muslims believe.
0: Well, I don't.
2: Yeah, yeah, but but the polling has not been done to the degree that it's been done in the West. But to the degree that it has been done, there's some terrifying results that that we should talk about. The the polling on uh, support for suicide bombing. You know, in tens of thousands of Muslims in in nine countries were asked uh, whether they supported suicide bombing in defense of the faith against Civilian non, non-combatants. Okay, so it's there are a few features here we should point out. This is we're talking about killing non-combatants deliberately through the use of suicide bombing. Suicide being something that many Muslims believe is is proscribed in the Quran, uh, and the percentages of people in the countries polled in Lebanon and Jordan and uh, um, Somalia were shocking I mean it, you know in, in Lebanon it was something like seventy five percent now another thing to point out is that the countries where the percentages would have even been higher wouldn't even let the question be asked so in, in countries like Egypt and Saudi Arabia we don't even have the polling data but let's let's just imagine that it's uh, let's take the lowest country the most secularized country I think it was it was Turkey where something like like twenty percent uh Thought it was justified, or sometimes justified. Uh, that's all. If, if that was representative of the Muslim world, 1.3 billion people, we still have a terrific problem on our hands. Uh, so it's you know I, I wouldn't be too optimistic about uh, what the uh, the general cast of mind is in the House of Islam around the, these issues. And you know, in recent weeks, we've seen tens of thousands of Muslims gather in the streets, calling for the deaths of cartoonists in Denmark. For merely yes. depicting the prophet, now that's you know that that's not behavior that is really that we should that we should find consoling. But I would I would agree with you. We, our hope has to be placed at some level in the reasonable voices in the Muslim world wherever they are, and we have to find some way of encouraging their their dialogue and empowering them.
1: Yeah. So another another thing. Uh, um, oh, first let me mention the phone number if you want to give us a call. Um, it's 412-268-9728. Um, the um, you, you have a, there's a chapter in your book where you talk about uh, kind of critic. It's critical of some of the liberals, uh, specifically Noam Chomsky. He spent a good deal of a uh, couple of pages talking about um, or trying to analyze his views and trying to square them with uh, what you see are the as the facts. Um, and I guess you know he, he he Chomsky, for example, complained about the. You know, for example, Clinton's bombing of a, of a drug factory. That In Chomsky Somalia. then pointed out that there were that that caused yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it caused uh, the deaths were you know terrible consequences for hundreds of thousands of people who weren't going to be able to get the drugs that were produced by that factory. Um, and you kind of ridicule that as well. There's also a lot of things that the U.S. could have done that they didn't do. Does that make the U.S. culpable as well, and so on? Um, but. Okay, I mean, maybe that was a weak argument that Chomsky made at that particular point. I'll let you respond in a second. But there are other things that have happened, like Madeleine Albright declaring just forthrightly that the death of uh, half a million Iraqi children was a, you know, a cost that was worth uh, what, what, what was trying to be achieved by, um, by uh, the U.S. policy. So I, I, I don't find that statement defensible, and I, I don't find, I find it heinous. And And, as Hina says, the calls for the death of the cartoonists and a lot of other things that you're claiming the muslims are 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 doing.
2: Mm-hmm. yeah well, I'm not aware that uh, of that statement that Albright made, and I would agree with you that that also would be heinous, except you have to locate, I think you're you're misattributing the cause there, the cause of uh, the deprivations of the Iraqi people during the sanctions regime. Was the fact that they were ruled by a a, a, a sociopathic dictator and his uh, arguably psychotic sons, uh, who were diverting billions of dollars in aid uh, to build palaces and do all the other things they were doing that were reprehensible. Uh, the The question for me is, what do people actually intend to do? I mean, there, there are all kinds of ways in which we inadvertently kill people in this world. And that is not as I mean, given that it's inadvertent, uh, our culpability is is uh, rather different than when we intend to kill people. And uh, the, the, what I take Chomsky to task for is that he re- he really does not factor in the role of human intentions uh, in his analysis. So he just he, he's merely after body count. So he can he he can extrapolate from our bombing of a of a pharmaceutical plant in the Sudan in the middle of the night. Uh, and say that that perhaps hundreds of thousands of children died from from preventable diseases as a result and then hold us uh, uh, accountable to that number and and compare that number without any uh modification to the mere 3,000 souls who lost their lives uh on September 11th and then then say essentially that that Clinton is worse than Osama bin Laden and it's it's a ridiculous thing to say because uh, the question is what are people really attempting in this world and what will they do when they get their hands on the most destructive technology uh, this technology is proliferating we cannot uninvent it we're not stopping its proliferation and we're in fact we're less likely we're, we're no more likely to stop the proliferation of nuclear and biological weapons than we are likely to stop the traffic in drugs ultimately uh, and therefore we we have people are telling us what they, what they intend to do, what, they des, what, what aspirations they desperately hope to realize. And these aspirations are rather different. And when you look at somebody like Osama bin Laden, if you imagine what he would do if he had a, uh, long-range nuclear weapons, for instance, uh, it is not he, he is not the moral equivalent of George Bush. I mean, George Bush has the weapons, uh, and he's not nuking uh, the Muslim world. If Osama bin Laden had the weapons, uh, we should be we sh- we should be convinced that killing millions upon millions of innocent bystanders would not pose a problem for him.
0: Okay, and, Sam,
3: oh, yeah. Sam we have a call. Uh, if I may
0: interrupt, we have a call on the line We're sure. uh, we from Joe uh, for, for, for Sam Harris. Go ahead, please.
3: Yes, uh, I've spent the last three years uh, spending time in the Middle East and have studied uh, U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East. I just want to say I think it's really misleading. Um, to think that religion is really the core conflict there. Um, I think The core conflict to be U.S. imperialism, U.S. overthrowing of uh, democratically elected governments, U.S. Uh, resource extraction, and then the Arab people's resistance to that. Um, certainly religion is used on both sides. It's used to justify the acts of imperialism, and it's also used to um, justify acts of resistance. Um, but martyrdom and giving one's life in the struggle for freedom is an ethos You know, as old as human history and the specific manifestation of it in the form of suicide bombings is really only a a tactical element of uh, a resistance movement facing overwhelming military superiority on the part of U.S. and Israel.
0: So Sam, would you, I was going to say something similar, but the caller said it far better than I would have. So Sam, I wonder if you might respond to that.
2: Sure, yeah, very well put. Um, Two responses. One is we should look at who's actually blowing themselves up and and try to map this account of, of their grievances with the West onto, onto their personal biographies. Uh, when you look, for instance, at the 19 hijackers, these were not guys who had been mistreated by the, the, the arrogance and colonialism of the West. They were not people who uh, had no other economic or uh, social opportunities. In fact, they were, many of them were educated in the West. They were all college graduates most of them were middle class or better they were not people who spent a lot of time agitating for regime change in the middle east and they were not people who were obsessed about our propping up dictators in the middle east for our own uh, nefarious purposes these were guys who spent a tremendous amount of time at their local mosque in hamburg talking about the pleasures that await martyrs in paradise
0: so you know, joe are, would you oh go ahead
2: we are fatally confused if we think that that the people who are blowing themselves up are, by and large, freedom fighters most agitated by uh, our, our meddling in the Middle East. And, and the people who are most agitated by our meddling in the Middle East are agitated very much in theological terms. They're not, they're not concerned about oil. They're not concerned about their own democratic processes. They're concerned about the presence of infidels near Muslim holy sites, for instance. That's, that's, that's on the top of Osama bin Laden's list of grievances. Uh, and so this is, we have to realize that our world is balkanized, certainly between we- the West and Islam, very much along theological lines.
0: Joe, would you care to respond to that?
3: Uh, sure. I just think that it's, uh, his ideas are, are very dangerous, considering um, this is the frame that Bush and the U.S. government wants us to take, that this is a class of civilizations and it's, you know, Christian fighting evil Muslims, when indeed the uh, U.S. government has been more responsible for far more deaths of civilians than these supposed terrorists have ever been. So I would ask, is it something in Christianity that makes people want to bomb um, Arab countries and drop bombs from planes? You know, is it something about Judaism that that leads these settlers in the West Bank to, you know, attack civilians on a regular basis and steal their land? I don't think that it is, and I think it's a very racist and um, misleading idea that only supports U.S. imperialism and makes any kind of resolution uh, further away. Okay. Well, thank you, Joe,
0: for calling. Uh, okay. Sam, perhaps you might like to respond. Yeah, there's
3: a bunch to respond. <clears throat> okay, there. that that's all
2: um, quite uh, jumbled, really, because first of all, the president of the president administration is not, while we may fear their Christian underpinnings, is not talking about a clash of civilizations and is not demonizing Islam. Um, And I would argue they're not appreciating the problem of Islam, at least not overtly as much as they should. I mean, George Bush, whenever he's given a chance, will talk about Islam being a religion of peace. Now, Islam is absolutely not a religion of peace, and and it's time we and Muslims started uh, understanding that. Uh, The other thing I'd like to, to address is that there's nothing at all racist about what I'm saying. I'm talking about the consequences of certain ideas. I'm talking about John Walker Lind, the, the white guy from Marin County who went off to fight with the Taliban. So I'm not talking about Arabs, I'm not talking about any ethnicity. Um, and the other thing is, is the caller is just not recognizing who is doing these things. Uh, once again, when you look at who in the Palestinian territories uh, is blowing themselves up or supporting martyrdom operations, these are not the poorest people. They are, they, are, uh, they are, by and large, the most well-off, at least they're middle class. They're, they're, without a doubt, the most literate people, and they are not the Christians. Uh, and while I say many critical things about Christianity in my writings, uh, it, Christianity does not happen to have the character of a death cult at the moment, and that's an
0: important difference. Well, uh, uh, my, my, my producer uh, asks a very really relevant point, which is, well, what about the Christians who go out killing doctors who uh, perform procedures that they don't approve of?
2: Well, one, one and they do and it in the name of really, Christ. They do it in the name of Christ. Yeah, that that is motivated by a religious dogma explicitly so. They're only concerned about abortion to to the degree that they are because they think the soul enters the zygote at the moment of conception and that that these these embryos have to be protected the way you would protect 10-year-old little little girls. Right. It's a ridiculous idea and it's motivating them to kill people.
1: Let, let me make another okay. I want to just yeah. relate back to the caller. Um you, know, you you talk about intentionality and, and you feel that, you know, certain acts by the U.S. Um, are not as – they're classified differently because of the, the intent was different or the intent wasn't just to kill. But, you know, if you look around it a little more carefully at what the U.S. is doing in both Iraq and, and, and elsewhere, I mean, they have acted in the most egregious um, – they've made the most egregious choices to kill. I mean, they've used, uh, for example, they're using landmines, advocating use of landmines, when that's an internationally, you know, banned thing, except by the U.S. The cluster bombs. That's for little kids to pick up and blow them up. When they dropped those cluster bombs, they knew. Or they Nepal knew that the thousands of kids were going to pick up those, those little toy, look, right. they look like toys, and they blow themselves up. They knew that. They, the intention had to be there to do that. Okay? They're using Napalm. And, uh, they, they, and you talk about nuclear weapons, the bombing of Hiroshima, that was... Uh, you know the reason they did that and uh, it w- w- was apparently not because of any strategic reason and that's been analyzed tremendously de- in great detail by many people um, it wasn't to, 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 to win the war, accelerate the war that the war was over it was it was to, as to show some sort of sign to the Russians that well we mean business now we have a nuclear bomb and we can use it well they killed a hundred thousand people for that little you know that little demonstration I mean I, you know they
2: Okay. So, the intent was how, to do How the... does that bear on my argument? I, I wouldn't deny any of that, and I mean it, it's rather obvious that we did many things uh, in our military engagements, for instance, in World War II, that would be unthinkable now, given the degree to which we are informed about the details on the ground in real time in mm-hmm. every one of these conflicts. I mean, we, we just could not. We would not do it. We, they, they were absolutely war crimes, and yet. No one, for instance, is, is arguing that that was not a just war. I mean, we, we you, there, it is true that occasionally, in the course of human events, your enemy is so uh, evil and and poses such a manifest threat to uh, the good people uh, on the right side of the issues that you have to go to war and. It just so happens that we we have no perfect way of fighting war, and uh, collateral I, damage see, occurs.
1: Yeah, but I don't agree with that because I think that the use, the use of cluster bombs is all collateral damage. Not, it's I have all collateral, collateral damage. No when, when, when they, to
2: defend the use of clu- cluster bombs? I, mean, I, I don't see why you would think I would defend well, the use of but, cluster but
1: bombs. but no, you're not defending it. But I'm uh, I'm saying that it's um, you know. I, am am You're trying to make some sort of distinction between the, 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 the mindset of a, of a, of a, of a Muslim, whose who's intention uh, is I'm to saying, kill people in these ways, and, and, and a, and a military person who drops cluster bombs whose intention is to kill little kids. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't see that distinction.
2: There are all kinds of ideologies that could get you to kill little kids. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you could be raised to think that killing little kids is uh, an important uh, way of uh, achieving your ends in this world. And, and I mean, it, it, their ideas have consequences. And all I'm arguing is that our religious ideas are uniquely immune to criticism because it is taboo to, to criticize a person's religious faith, and yet they are uniquely divisive because they, they one, posit differences between people which cause people to 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 morally identify only with their r- religious group, uh, and they're divisive in the sense that some religions, uh, some more than others, give explicit, explicit directives to kill people in certain circumstances. For instance, if they happen to draw a picture of your prophet, uh, as we see in this cartoon scandal. I mean, this cartoon scandal is perfectly uninterpretable, but for a specific religious idea which is, don't depict the prophet under any circumstances. Uh, if you drew Christ, merely drew him, you would not get uh, the, these calls for the, the, head, the heads of uh, cartoonists to roll. And uh, there are many instances of this where a specific religious idea really leads to violence that would not otherwise occur. And day on a daily basis, we're seeing people blow themselves up in Iraq, for instance, I'm not arguing about the justness of that war, but I'm saying that there's a style of violence there. There's an influx of people willing to die from Jordan and Syria and Saudi Arabia, middle-class people with other opportunities in this world who are willing to die, and their parents are willing to celebrate their deaths. And this is only interpretable in light of what they believe. And what they believe is you get straight to paradise, by dying in those circumstances.
0: Okay, so let's say we accept that premise, just for, just for the sake of a discussion. Then I think the question becomes, and I'm actually surprised to hear myself arguing this. The question becomes: So, amongst all of the, you're arguing that religious belief has this, you know, it has these consequences. Let's let's just stipulate that that's the case. But then, is it is this the most important issue that we could be worrying about? I mean, if I go to Danny's point, aren't these other issues much larger? Isn't the tens of thousands of uh, of people that we've killed in the invasion of Iraq are much more significant than the dozens that are killed by various suicide bombers.
2: Well, well no, I don't think I think I think the religious polarization of our world. I, I think ask yourself what would be the greatest thing we could achieve as a as a human community in the near term. I think it would be to have human beings everywhere merely identified as human beings. It is what we could take the whole of our species as our moral community and really be united now ask yourself what are the obstacles to that happen there are things like racism there's nationalism there's, there are various forms of tribalism but the most intractable form of tribalism and the, and, and the, the most motivating to people is religious tribalism where you have, you have societies breaking down along religious lines over and over again uh... and le- leading to conflict and leading to the most irrational uses of human resources and human discourse I mean, forget about the, the war on terrorism and, and our conflict with the, with the Middle East. Just think about what religion does within our own country, where, we, where, where you know, half of the oxygen of our political discourse is, taking up, is taken up with religious infatuation. The fact that we spend one second talking about gay marriage in this country when we have all of these other problems, you know, well, epidemiological I problems, yeah. economic problems, it's, it's absolute madness. So, and it's so religious this, madness. Go ahead, Dan.
1: Well, I, I was going to de- go on a little bit of a tangent to a slightly different topic that you talked about in your, in your lecture um, on C-SPAN, which at, you elaborated on the, the whole the, um, the absurdity of the uh, trying to protect a fertilized egg or an embryo. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe you could just talk about, give that little uh, analysis you gave. It had to do with souls, that would, a soul that would split apart and come together again. It had, it, it, you know, right. how, the killing a fly, that sort of thing
2: yeah yeah well the the issue of stem cell research is just it's a very discreet topic we can talk about i mean it, it it's just it is a a a line of research in biology that any biologist will tell you any honest biologist who's not confounded by some competing religious dogma uh, will tell you that uh, it is one of the most promising lines of research in biology to develop medical therapies and yet it is not being funded at the federal level uh... because of this concern that we will destroy in the process three-day old human embryos to do this research and people think that uh, people are concerned about this because they think the soul enters the the zygote at the moment of of conception and therefore uh... you can't sacrifice one soul to save the soul of an eight-year-old girl who's got diabetes or full-body burns or uh, men and women with Parkinson's disease, or any of the other conditions that, that tens of millions of people suffer from at this moment and, and for which stem cell research seems to be the best line of research, uh, you can't use one, the interest of one soul to trump another soul. Well, this is when you look at the details, uh, and we never have to look at the details because of the respect that's given to religious faith and religious-based uh, morality here, but when you look at the details, you ask yourself, what is a three-day-old human embryo? It's a collection of 150 cells uh, the size of a pinhead, uh, totally unorganized. There's no brain. There's no nervous system. And uh, just, just compare that to another system of, of uh, physical complexity, uh, like a fly. Maybe if you think 150 cells is a lot of cells that we should worry about, uh, you should be rather startled to hear that there are 100,000 cells in the brain of a housefly now we we would kill house flies all day long if it stood a chance of saving one little girl with full body burns uh, we do kill house fl- flies all, all day long and no one loses sleep over it um, we should we sh- we should lose sleep over house flies before we lose sleep over 3 day old human embryos if we know anything at all about th- the relationship between physical complexity and the possibility of having interests having experienced the possibility of suffering anything at all. Uh, and yet the discourse uh, on this subject uh, is completely arrested by religious dogmatism. And, and uh, the, the, quite literally the lives of tens of millions of people in our country alone hang in the balance.
0: Mm. well uh, that's an interesting point this brings me uh, we have about five minutes remaining uh, let me mention again that the phone number uh, to call if you wish to talk with Sam Harris uh, is four one two two six eight nine seven two eight and we have five more minutes um, so Sam I wanted to also ask you uh, going back to what we started in the very beginning uh, of our discussion was uh, as we we commented that you know being being an, an atheist or even even claiming uh, disclaiming any particular interest or uh, in religion is enough to disqualify you from uh, from public office mm-hmm. now one of the reasons that's that I, that has at least a rational form to it is um, if you ask someone well why why do they believe that and I think ultimately if if you if you uh, if you get down to it, they would say essentially you can 't be an ethical person if you don 't have religion All and right. so I wonder whether you might like to comment on that
2: yeah, well, this is really the the keystone myth I think in our discourse that that keeps religion in such uh high esteem even among uh, otherwise moderate or, or even secular people, this idea that somehow without uh, endorsing the idea that, that one of our books was uh, created by the, the creator of the universe, uh, we would lose our, our moral underpinnings and people would start behaving badly. There, there is no evidence for this whatsoever. Uh, you, can, you can see the, the problems here. Uh, simply by looking at what's going on in Western Europe, where the the most atheistic societies, a society like Sweden, where something like sixty or eighty percent of people are atheists,
0: are um, the most humane.
2: They're they're, they're the most they they have you know by every indicator you'd want to look at levels of violent crime, um, levels of charity to the developing world. They're they're far ahead of us. Um, but the other thing is that we, we have to recognize that that we Use our own ethical intuitions to decide what is good in the Bible. For instance, I mean, if you look at the Bible, there are all these barbaric passages that we that we discussed earlier that no one, very few people take seriously. Actually, some people do take seriously, and, and they're the people who want homosexuals to be put to death and and uh, uh, basically want a world very much like the world we saw in Afghanistan under the Taliban. But very few of us take those passages seriously because we've decided. It's unethical to put people to death for for sex crimes or for um, uh, or for I should say sex that we don't approve of or uh, for uh, not being a virgin on your wedding night, for instance. Um, And we look at we listen to uh, Jesus as he's talking on the Sermon on the Mount, and he he enunciates the Golden Rule, and we recognize, oh, that's a great uh, ethical principle. But we it's it's our own ethical intuitions and our own conversation. Uh, with others, that is is the gold standard by which we recognize ethical wisdom, and and ethics clearly pre- precede religion. I mean, even monkeys have a proto-ethical framework. I mean, mo- monkeys recognize violations of fairness, for instance, uh, and uh, they recognize reciprocity, and they and they treat one another well, uh, and their family members better. Uh, in a way that they w- they will not treat you know, uh, other species um, and so our ethics are a natural phenomenon uh, emerging out of our embeddedness in in the natural world and they're 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 things we can uh, we can talk about intelligently without dogmatic adherence to first century
0: philosophy. Well uh that we'll have to finish up our conversation today our time uh, time has run out. Sam Harris, author of The End of Faith, Religion, Terror and the Future of Reason. Uh, thank you very much for being a guest on Left Out. I very much enjoyed our program.
2: Yeah. Yeah, thank
0: you guys. It's and been a pleasure. Thank, thank you all for listening to Left Out. We'll be back in uh, we'll be back in 2 week, uh, 2 weeks time. And thank you to Matt Horniak for producing today's show.